It's so great because they turn and like they, hmm. they yell into the Grand Canyon, hover around, and it like echoes. <laughs> and it's yeah. really good. And it's part of my upbringing, and I can't find it. Welcome to the Show Battle, the podcast where we hitchhike across Wikipedia like a bunch of little fact hoppers. I am your spiked apple cider, Kyle, and with me as always are my pumpkin spice lattes. I'm Sky. I'm Tim, and I take offense to being called a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> it's okay. But the thing is, we're all we're all seasonally happy and sweet, so that's that's what I'm thinking about. That's the way I'm looking yeah, at it. But I'm not steeped in commercialism, Kyle. I'm mm. steeped in, in leaves. That, that, <laughs> yes, that's accurate. That's that's accurate. You're actually surrounded by yes. leaves right now. Oh. Just just make rustling noises. <laughs> um that would actually as I'm thinking about it, that might actually be like kind of comfortable. Like sitting in a leaf no, actually nope, I take that way I take that back. That's not comfortable at all. That's bad. Uh like jumping in a leaf pile might be fun, but like hanging out there, I don't know about that. Uh, anyway, if you haven't heard our show before, what we do is we, uh, we, uh, as the host will pick out one page on, uh, Wikipedia, the bastion of knowledge on the internet. And, uh, both Sky and Tim tonight will race to see who can get to the goal page. And, uh, whoever gets there first will be the winner. <clears throat> tonight, you guys are going to be going to be working with a particular type of vehicle. The Ooh. starting page for you will be, um, Plug-in electric vehicle. Oh wow! Okay. Like a Glade, like a Glade a plug-in specific. electric vehicle. Yes, that's the one. Plug-in electric. Just, okay, I'm there. Yeah, and uh, we are going from plug-in electric vehicles to another form of highly efficient energy, uh, or another thing that uses energy highly efficiently: sugar gliders. Aww. Mm. I know. I know. When I found out that I could connect these, I was like, well, we're done. Um, but that's not where we're starting uh, for our opening game tonight. Uh, I'm trying to find something that is seasonally appropriate. Again, uh, you know, we're recording this just prior to Halloween. I know this isn't our Halloween episode, but pumpkins are everywhere, man. <laughs> yes. That's, yes, they th- are. They're just everywhere. So it, it's hard for me to avoid these. I I like to try to look at like news uh, to to help kind of guide my ideas for for our show whenever I'm hosting. Mm-hmm. So I have. So what popped up when I was looking for uh, just news, you know, like weird news? Uh, so there was tonight's tonight's uh, opening game is going to be a uh, a guess or a guessing game essentially uh, in terms of. Uh, well, here's the news. Uh, the headline here, Great Pumpkins! Grower wins trifecta of giant food titles. And in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, about a week ago, a uh, grower is, has, was the first in the world to achieve a trifecta in the hobby of growing gargantuan foods, uh, according to the Greenville Sun, uh, dot com. Uh He's gotten uh, a guy named Joe Jutras, Got uh, achieved world records for the heaviest pumpkin, the longest long gourd, and now the heaviest. <laughs> the, the longest long gourd. 
Correct. Is there is there a longest and, short gourd? No, <laughs> no. You have to. You keep those in a sheath. They're you know. Um, so here's. I'm going to give you guys the option. I have the uh, the record, the number for each of his uh, prize winning uh, uh, gourds. You know, gargantuan foods. Would you like to either uh, tell me? It'd be the closest to guess the the weight of the uh, the heaviest squash, the longest long gourd, or the largest pumpkin. So we both we'll both be doing the same thing. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I guess it doesn't make really <laughs> like I'm saying which well, is the longest. You're saying I guess I guess you could just do it like which number. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say actually, yeah, just whichever uh, whichever you want. Any either of you can do whichever one you want. Which do you think you're going to well, be I best know the to one guess? I want to do. Which one do you want? I to want do? to do that longest long gourd. Okay, yeah. All right. All right. You know all what right. I would? You know what I would so, call my long gourd? That sounds. Oh that God, sounds what? terrible. No. <laughs> Just what, what, what the yeah. hell? Uh, okay. Ava Longordia. Hmm. Wow. Thank well you. done. All right, Sky. Um, which would you like to guess? I'll guess the, the long gourd. Yeah, I want to do the same one. Okay. All right. So what I'm going to give you guys to start. <laughs> Just because I thought it would be a little unfair to just, uh, you know, to l- just say, you know, sky's the limit. Uh, the longest long gourd reaches to the sky. Uh, no, what I'm going to tell you that it is less than 300 inches. Okay. But greater than zero. So between those ranges, how long is the longest long gourd uh, grown by Jotru- Jutrus? Uh, and for which he won in he won that title in 2006 and continues to hold it. By the way, all right, I'll message you my answer. Okay, I will do the same. It's impressive that he can continue to hold it for that long. I mean, it's a long gourd, and also people might just not know. All right, I got Sky's answer. Yes, yes, Sky. I understand you mean inches. All right. Oh no! <laughs> I got Tim's answer. Tim's closer. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so uh, Tim, you guessed it was that it was 172 inches, and Sky, because I clicked on clicked off of your message, it told me. Oh, there you are. Uh, you you had guessed uh, 234. <laughs> Sky says inches, not centimeters. Which is important. That's an important distinction, mm-hmm. but it would be a little bit closer. Uh, That's true, possibly, uh, because the the longest long gourd currently is one hundred twenty six point five inches. That comes out to three point uh, three point two one meters. It's a big gourd. That's a yard and change. Yeah. Wow. So that's going to make some incredible, some incredible uh, squash spaghetti. So. That's all I gotta say about that. Can you imagine? That would be I. I I just thought of that, and sound that sounds so good. Oh man, there's a picture. Yeah, guy next to this gourd. (laughs) It's good, and he's like duct taped to a plank. (laughs) I mean, you do what you gotta do. You do. (laughs) This is long gourd underscore six dot (laughs) jpeg. I mean, the first five photos just didn't come out right. The gourd kept saying <laughs> yes. he had to prop it up with the board. 
He kept no. He, he the the gourd kept blinking. Is Eva happened. Eva kept kept blinking. That's right. Oh no! You could pull vault with Let's that see. thing. Giant pumpkin. Holy cow! This is not even the. Yeah, this is not the uh, the photo that I saw, but it's incredible. I like I like how he's holding oh, a uh, he's holding a little board that says the date. Um, September 10th, 2006. I mean... Why isn't he holding that day's newspaper? Huh. <laughs> because the type would be mm. too small. You wouldn't be able to see it and the squash. Or gourd. I mean, you gotta take your pick. It's true. Uh, so let's see. Uh, just for reference, he... Okay. Uh, asked, just, just at the end of the story, asked what he plans to do next after achieving this trifecta... He said he's been thinking about the bushel gourd. I can't even say. He's been thinking about it. I can't talk about it. The bushel gourd. Uh, Jutra says, I think the record now is about 279 pounds. That might be something I want to get into a bit. So best of luck, Joe Jutras. Uh, You are an inspiration to us all. Yeah, for sure. I'm Um, also inspiring. Yep. What's that? I'm feeling inspired. Good. Then you can use that inspiration to power yourself onto the plug-in vehicle page. Wee. See in, what I did? An inspiration-powered car? You know what? <laughs> I did what I could. <laughs> this is a big page. This is a really a big page. Uh, I, yeah, I thought you guys would have enough to work with here. I almost picked a different page, but it's just... It's kind of amazing... <clears throat> Plug-in electric vehicles are pretty neat. I, I especially like that they don't stop at just cars. Um, they just have it as, you know, any kind of electric vehicle. Um, specifically down here, they have the uh, plug-in electric uh, drive vehicle, which is the legal term used in the U.S. Uh, they refer to as, uh, they refer most often to automobiles or plug-in cars, quote-unquote, but otherwise, they can also include scooters, motorcycles, neighborhood electric vehicles, or micro cars, city cars, vans, light trucks, or light commercial vehicles, buses, trucks or lorries, and military vehicles. I don't know what a micro car is, but I really want to know. It's a. Is it just a hot it's wheel? A tiny car. Yeah, it's a tiny it's a little, little baby one. car. So unfortunately, it doesn't look like the U.S. is really highly invested in. Uh, electric cars at the moment I'm, I'm looking at the list of of top 10 countries by market share uh from 2013 to 2016 norway has just been on top the entire time they have been on board with electric cars since at least 2013 followed okay. by the netherlands mm-hmm. um hong kong has risen in the recent couple of years uh, the U.S. just sort of, it was hanging around in 8th place in 2013 and then ninth place in 2014 and then isn't in the top 10. Moving on. Wow. So, you know, we, we love to roll our coal. So, I, I mean, that's that's a shame. Mm-hmm. I uh, I wonder what it is about those places that, that makes them more apt to want electric vehicles. Is electric energy just more plentiful in some of these places you, as well? Are you saying electricity is more plentiful in those countries? Is it cheaper is what I mean to I say. Oh, maybe. <laughs> uh, Sky sent a picture of some, some electric vehicles. No, I, I, I sent those. Uh, I, I sent that over because 
I appreciate that these cars are parked in this uh, in this these parking spots that are revered, re- reserved for green cars at San Francisco International. But this Airport. is a red car and a silver car. And I thank you. I was going to say great. Should it be a rule? Is it, should that be law that if you are if it's an electric car, it needs to be green? Like no. literally, <laughs> no. This guy's like, no, no. We're not going down this road, guys. Nope, not going down this road. <laughs> uh. Going down this road on our electric car <laughs> that is green. So I mean, even even with you know the the market growing for these things, there still is are not a lot out there in the world. Mm-hmm. They're expensive. True. Yeah. Like as as it of December 2016, about 637,500 plug-in electric passenger cars and vans have been registered in Europe. Wow. And that's 31.4% of the global stock. Second largest after China. So, you know, there it's not even cresting like 2 million out there yet. Wow. Mhm. And I really would have expected it to be more than that, but that's I, I mean it's that's tough. a thing I guess yeah. yeah they're still really expensive. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever been in been in one? No, no. I watched uh, a video um, on <laughs> on Reddit uh, of like uh, a guy showing his dad or it might have been even his grandpa like the car. And, like one thing I guess I never thought about is the fact that it has like since it's not like burning fuel to get its like energy, it yeah. can just in, like, it can just instantly like go from like, you know, 10 miles an hour to like 40. Like it has just <laughs> a lot of like get up and go. Um, yeah. Which is surprising. Cause you always think of like, Oh, electric cars, like they don't have any, any power to them. But if they have the capacity for the power, then they can like get right to it. Like really quickly. It was really surprising. Mm. So, I mean, so we're going to we're going to sugar gliders. That's yeah. correct. Sugar gliders. I do not oh, have a lot wait, of experience. Are they on this page with sugar oh, okay. gliders? I did. I did hold one once in a mall from really? someone who was trying to sell sell sugar gliders. Yep. I hold. I oh, held I mean, it, and it looked up. Them? Yeah. Yeah. One of his pets. Yeah. Sky. Their own. There's a whole Etsy category for them. Sky. Jeez. You know what? Don't search that right now. Let's go. We'll do that later. But it, uh, yeah, I, I held it cute. and it was all warm and soft and it looked up at me and it promptly peed in my hand. <laughs> yep. Small animals do. Yeah. Yep. It's like, hello, human. You are another one for me to claim. Enjoy this. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> uh, man. I mean, that's pretty great. Let's see. Man, this page is enormous. Yeah. Uh, a total of 50,875 plug-in electric vehicles registered in Norway in 2016. Um, they talk about the, the Leaf a lot. The Leaf is probably the, the best-known name, at least in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has 15,000 units sold by September 2016. Uh, I guess that's just in the U.K., though. Dang. Wow. Yeah, the Mitsubishi I, Outlander PHEV or FEV, FEV is the all-time top-selling plug-in electric car in the UK. It's it's really weird because I mean it, it talks mostly this is talking about Europe and Canada and everywhere but the US. Yeah, because 
it just hasn't it hasn't hit. Because we're not good at this. No, this is what you're not. saying. Oh, well, United States think... area. As oh, of December good. 2016, cumulative sales sold totaled 570,187. Highway legal plug in electric cars. None of those renegade electrics. Yeah. Wait, we're not even at a million? Mm-mm. Ugh. Yeah, third, the world's third largest stock of plug-in passenger cars. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, being being overtook by Europe. I mean, being overtaken. Sure. Yeah. And could be being overtook. Have overtook. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering. California if is, of course, the state with the largest market. Person in the UK. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that would actually make some sense. Oh, is is overtook like a? I think so. Okay. I don't know. There's a lot sure, of differences. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, let's see so here. it's saying that uh, it's the third largest sales. stock of plug-in passenger cars, but is that just? But it's not like the highest percentage, right? Is that the difference? Like, yeah, we have like the I, third most. I'm not sure, but there's stock. Yeah. I'm actually not positive. The the wording is a little weird here too. Yeah. Or, oh yeah, I mean it has it's stock. Maybe we make a lot of them, them, but we just don't sell them yeah. here. Yeah, mm, that could be. Yeah, I think that's what they're what they're saying here. Um, so trying to find something that relates to sugar gliders. They don't drive. <laughs> that you know um, of, geez. They don't use electricity. There's a there's a absolutely a children's book in some in there somewhere about a tiny, um, a tiny sugar glider on a motorcycle. With a ping pong uh, ball cut out for a helmet. Uh, I don't know. I think somebody draw that. I think Beverly Cleary would uh, would sue that or her estate. Is Beverly <laughs> Cleary still alive? <laughs> like you, you can't have a mouse on a motorcycle and then a sugar glider on a motorcycle. <laughs> like Beverly Cleary owns the the small animal on a two wheeled vehicle market. Mm. Uh, she is currently alive. Okay, wow. Wait, no, that can't be true. She, that can't be true. Yeah, she is 101. She's 101. Wow. Oh, and I love this picture Bless of her with her this heart. cat. What? Wow. Hang on. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this to you. She looks, this is a very sassy look from Beverly Cleary and her cat. Aw, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> so as, as I said that, Stephen walked into the room. <laughs> Look at this picture, Steven. Yeah? Yes. He says yes. Yeah. I like <laughs> that picture a lot. <laughs> so, uh, so, so sugar gliders are small. And as we mentioned earlier, so are micro cars. I'm going to click on micro car. You're going to click on what? Micro car. Oh, no. I, oh yeah! I was kind of hoping that someone would. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Sky, where are you going? Uh, carbon footprint is linked here, and I'm mm. going to click on carbon footprint because wow. I don't know where sugar gliders live, but I'm going to go to the rainforest. And <laughs> they live in socks and hope. For the best. <laughs> they live in pockets. I mean, that's not. I, it's not what I would have guessed, but also they are made of carbon, so you can get there eventually yeah, one way or the sure. other. <laughs> All right, Tim, let's talk about microcars. A microcar is the smallest automobile classification, usually applied to very small cars, smaller than city cars. 
Such small cars are generally referred to as cycle cars until the 1940s. More recent models are also called bubble cars due to their bubble-shaped appearance. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I do like the fact that there, there seems to be a, a scale of size of car. Like apparently there's, there's no nano car yet. But a micro car is, is gonna be smaller than a tiny car. Sure. Or a Santa car. <laughs> oh my gosh, these are so great. Uh, the, the definition of a micro car is very considerably in different countries. Uh since there are usually tax and or licensing advantages to the classification, multiple restrictions are often imposed, oh, wow. starting with engine size. <laughs> the register of unusual microcars in the UK says I don't care what it says. Con- it's awesome. Sean Connery was in that, wasn't he? Uh, I would <laughs> the, the League of Extraordinary Microcars. Yes. Uh, Combi vehicles with either three or four wheels, powered by petrol engines of no more than 700 cc or battery electric propulsion, and manufactured since 1945. The Bruce Wiener Microcar Museum, <laughs> the world's largest <laughs> collection of microcars. Come on! <laughs> no. <laughs> Bruce, you not no come. Oh, this, oh I, I my mean, god! <laughs> what? I mean, you just put the they put the jokes right out there. They're just Welcome. setting them up and knocking I was them like, down. Oh yeah, Wiener. Okay, that's. Oh no, wait! It's <laughs> from these micro cars. Oh, oh. no! I'm so glad that none of the three of us actually have to make the joke. Yep. Oh. <laughs> His name is Bruce. Anyway. Bruce. Welcome, welcome to my microcar museum. It's in the shoebox. <laughs> it's right over here. No, no, step on my uh, microcar. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all gone. Uh, many, but not all microcars are not fitted with reverse gear. Because you can basically just lift it up and roll it back into a parking spot. All right. Uh, before you move on, I do want to point out that the that the definition from the Register of Unusual Microcars uh, specifies that uh, yeah, uh, three or four wheels powered by petrol of no more than seven hundred cc or battery battery electric propulsion and manufactured since nineteen forty five. Okay, I I'm pretty sure they had to specify that last bit because. If it was manufactured prior to 1945, you were a time traveler. And they want to make sure that they catch you. (laughs) Uh. Let's see here. Electric microcars. Microcars by country of origin. Uh, That's a separate list. Boo. On a different page. I'm not going in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's uh, uh, the Think Nordic. Imported by the, to the U.S. by the Ford Motor Company to satisfy California zero emission vehicle requirements in the state of California. Wow. And then removed from the market by Ford in a bargain with the California Air Resources Board. That's a devil's bargain. So, they, so Ford brought this car over uh, to appease these standards until they could, they could negotiate their way out of it. And like, like they just... I guess they went to this California board and they're like, okay, um, as long as you're like being strict on us, we're going to be selling these on the streets. <laughs> and they just sort of kick this three wheel thing down the road. And they're like, okay, okay, you, you made your point, Ford. We'll just get those away from us. 
It's a real nice, uh, real nice set of market restrictions you got mm-hmm. here. It'd be a shame if something happened to him. Mm-hmm. The Corbin Sparrow, um, I really liked him in Field of Dreams. Nice, good. Um, the the Twike, what is a micro car that is pedal assisted? No, it's not. That's not yep. a real thing. The Twike, yeah, T W I K E. The the tw- tw- Twizzy Twizy a two seater. By Renault. I can only uh, imagine that that's related to the what's that thing? Oh no, the jazzy something. What? The, what's the little personal vehicle? The powered. You guys go on. I'm gonna find this thing. Okay. Bye, Kyle. Bye. Uh. Yeah. So there's uh, a lot of fun and proud names of microcars out there. Uh. There's a lot on here about pollution and global warming. Um, I'm not sure if I want to go there. I feel like I've been there recently. Uh, I, ooh, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. The Messerschmitt TG500 had about a 78 mile per hour top speed with 15 kilowatts, 20 horsepower, and excellent aerodynamics. I'm going to click on aerodynamics. Ooh, nice. Because sugar gliders glide. And they must have good aerodynamics. I mean, unless they're bad at it, and that's why they need to continually eat sugar. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, I Sky. Just, the, the silence. The silence lasted long enough where I wanted it to just keep going. <laughs> I'm just like, how long can we take this? So I just uh, opened up Jazzy Electric Wheelchairs, and I was looking at this name, the Pride Jazzy Air. Yeah, I was completely yes. struck. <laughs> it's on sale. Pride, Pride, Jazzy Air, Tony Hawk's first well-known trick. <laughs> um, yeah, have you guys not gotten these commercials? We used to get these all the time for the Jazzy. Oh, yeah, these we really got hover around. Oh, like, we went oh, all hover around. the Grand Canyon. What? Hold hover on. Around. Wait, what? You, they went to the yeah. Grand Canyon. They went yep. from oh, where? Kyle. These two old ladies that are just on top of a cliff in the Grand Canyon. We, we went all the way to the... <laughs> what? Oh my god, I'm finding this right now. Wait, so you're saying these are power wheelchairs? This is Hover Round. Hover Round. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's like oh Steven's nodding. You've seen this too? It's so great because they turn and they, mm-hmm. they yell into the Grand Canyon, Hover Round, and it like echoes. <laughs> And it's yeah. really good, and it's part of my upbringing, and I can't find it. It is part. Oh, it is part of my my. Uh, yeah, the usually the Price is Right section of my upbringing yeah. as a child. Yeah. Okay, so I want to point out that once again we found a thing that connects to a commercial that you guys grew up with. It was this, and what was it? The it was the uh, the Sea World spinoff. Oh yeah, uh, Marine Land. Marine Land. Yes, and you guys had to go find that. What a couple weeks ago as well. Ah, uh, incredible, incredible. Well, that's wonderful. Oh, that's good. But what does it do for your carbon footprint, Sky? Carbon footprint. It's the total set of greenhouse gas emissions caused by an individual event, organization, or product expressed as carbon dioxide equivalent. Uh, it's not very sexy. Uh. There's a bunch of like averages here, and it's all depressing. I don't want to stay on it. One thing I yeah, don't want I... to talk about is they have here indirect carbon emissions, uh, like in food. Uh, mm-hmm. In a 2014 study by Scarborough et al., 
It looked at the real life oh, diets wow. of British people. Um, <laughs> and they have the average dietary greenhouse gas emissions per day. Um, it was 7.19 for high meat eaters, all the way down to 2.89 for vegans. Wow. Which is, yeah. That's pretty. I didn't think it would be that much, but it is. Oh, I wonder if they're saying that it's because it's like, um, yeah, the what you have to put in oh, to yeah. raising beef. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's textiles here. Precise carbon footprint of different textiles varies considerably according to a wide range of factors. Uh, like carbon is eight. Nylon is 5.43, which is kind of surprising. Um, wool is 5.48. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I was coming here to look for the rainforest. Because I'm dumb <laughs> and I don't know what a sugar glider is. Like, I kind of know what a sugar glider is, but I don't know anything. About, like, I actually had to Google them when you guys were kind of talking about them. Because, like, when you were Amazing. like, oh, I met one in the mall. I'm like, oh, shit. Am I thinking of the right thing? Because Aww. I didn't think they'd be in a mall. But they... <laughs> <laughs> but, Not but, safe for I malls. Mean, I never, I never saw, I never saw no sugar glider store between the Sears no, and the Best Buy. Oh, no, for sure. <laughs> but uh, they which is about, a shame because it's a great. <laughs> I store. saw, I saw Hot Topic once. Oh. <laughs> oh, it looked like it could have some sugar gliders in it, but it didn't. Really, it just had depressed looking teams. Really goth the, sugar gliders. I was gonna say that the sugar gliders in the Hot Topic are, are way very too, sad. Way too much. I once, I once got a wallet chain with a with a sugar glider. Oh no. It's terrible. I mean, it wasn't a real one. It was, it was, you know, it was drawn. <laughs> they talk nice. about deforestation nice. here. I'm gonna click on deforestation. <laughs> I was sadly, I was going to tell you to look at that as well. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sad that that's on here as. Oh wait, well, Sky, I'm sorry. Forestry is also on here too. Yeah, if that's okay. I'm, I'm just still, putting it out there. I'm still going to. <clears throat> the sugar gliders are good at forestry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, accurate. <laughs> All right, deforestation, I guess. Aerodynamics and deforestation. Yep. So aerodynamics, the page for it is, of course, math nerdy. Math nerds. Um, And it does not really talk about animals that much, which I am surprised, because I would think that they'd be like, yeah, we want to know how birds do. Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't really talk about that, which is interesting. They do talk about hypersonic flow, which, I mean, is incorrect here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't say anything about the Chaos Emerald, so I'm upset. Yep. They got that subsonic, that transonic, that supersonic, and the hypersonic. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm out on the floor, I barely get above transonic. <laughs> it's just, I just, you know, it takes a lot to, to get up there. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, conservation laws, blah blah blah. Yeah, oh, flow classification. Mm-hmm. Um, funk is not considered. Uh, yeah. So I'm not really interested. Right. Uh, like they talk about. So modern aerodynamics only dates back to the 17th century, but aerodynamic forces have been harnessed by humans for thousands of years in sailboats and windmills. And images and stories of flight appear throughout recorded history, such as the ancient Greek legend of Icarus and Daedalus, uh, fundamental concepts of continuum, drag, and pressure gradients appear in the work of Aristotle and Archimedes. So, quick aside about Icarus and Daedalus, uh, I don't remember who I was reading on, on Twitter 
uh, a while ago, but uh, they made mention about how uh, that story is actually completely reversed because uh, what would have happened, like that just proved that they, that they didn't know anything about science. What, what actually would have happened, like going higher up, like Icarus actually would have been fine. Like it would have been really cold up higher in the atmosphere. He wouldn't have act. It wouldn't have gotten warmer. It would have been cooler as he went up and the wings would have held together just fine. And, uh, the Twitter person that I was reading is like, and that's why you trust science. I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> Don't listen to stories. Trust science. It wasn't Neil deGrasse Tyson. I promise. I was just going to say, I was going to say like, I was like, you see his eyes like peering at you from the darkness around. It's like, <laughs> Oh no, you found us. We got to go. Everyone get out. Mm-hmm. Um, man. So like, yeah, I'm trying to find something. That'll get me closer to sugar gliders, because there's no animals in here. Not even glider is linked, mm. uh, which I was hoping would be linked. I mean, molecules are. Yeah, Navier Stokes equations I mean, are. I mean, they sugar gliders have molecules. <laughs> Theoretically, let's see. <laughs> yeah, um, heavier than air flight. Mm. Nope, that's still part of this. That's no, part of aircraft. I don't want to go to aircraft. I want to go to... You know what? Let's go to Icarus. Gas dynamics? Okay. I mean... I, okay, Icarus it is. Yeah, I'm going to Icarus. I mean, I, sugar gliders do uh, have gas dynamics, I'm sure, but I don't think it's related to you know, it, aerodynamics. It's been a while since we've been to a, to a mythology page. We're actually kind of due, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, Sky, deforestation. Deforestation. Um, between 2000 and 2012, 2.3 million square kilometers of forests around the world were cut down. Oof. Uh, only 6.2 million square kilometers remain of the original 16 million square kilometers. Uh, which we've learned, like, we learned in a past episode that not, not a lot of land is forest because there's like Mm -hmm. deserts and mountains and stuff also. Um... Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff. These are depressing pages that I'm going through that I don't want to really <laughs> focus too much on. Um, there's the carbon carboniferous rainforest collapse, which was an event that occurred 300 million years ago. Climate change devastated tropical rainforests, causing the extinction of many plant and animal species. The change was erupt, or erupt, abrupt. Specifically, <laughs> at this time, climate uh, became cooler and drier, conditions that were not favorable for the growth of rainforests and much of the biodiversity within them. Uh, rainforests were fragmented, forming shrinking islands further and further apart. The sudden oh, collapse geez. affected several large groups. Effect, uh, effects on amphibians were particularly devastating. While reptiles fared, be- fared better, uh, better uh, being ecologically uh, adapted to the drier conditions that followed. So that's the thing. They mentioned sugar gliders right here. That's weird. Yeah, like, oh, sugar gliders had it real rough. We're great. No. They just, it, yeah. Mm. That's pretty much all I wanted to mention. Like, it's sad. But tropical rainforest is right here. So yeah, I guess I'm tropical rainforest. Because I don't know. I, I mean, s- you've also got other animals. I mean, not they're not flying animals, but red deer and wild boar. I mean, that's pretty close. You're right. They are. They are they actual marsupials. animals. Are there marsupials on here? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, they yes, they are they are marsupials. You are correct about All that. All right. Not they aren't on this page though. Some free knowledge. Okay. <laughs> I'll just give you that. Free that's a knowledge. that's a free one for me to that's you. That's dangerous. Yeah. All right. Tropical rainforest. Tropical rainforest. Gonna get our Captain Planet on. All right. Is that where is that where they actually live? I mean, I don't remember. So maybe oh, I don't either. Let's find out. Okay. By going to Icarus. First Icarus, yes. Uh Icarus is the son of the master craftsman Daedalus, the creator of the labyrinth. Um, not the one with um David, David Bowie. Bowie. Often depicted in art, Icarus and his father attempted to escape from Crete by means of wings that his father constructed from feathers and wax. Icarus's father warns him first of complacency and then of hubris, asking that he fly neither too low nor too high so the sea's dampness would not clog his wings or the sun's heat melt them. Icarus don't listen because teens just don't do it. Mm -hmm. And when the wax in his wings melted, he tumbled out of the sky, fell into the sea, and drowned. Wow. Yep. Um, but we know better. So he was in there originally, like, the original need to escape the island was because uh, Daedalus had built the labyrinth, which was built for what, Kyle? Uh, Minotaur? Yes. Okay. Yeah. To imprison the Minotaur. And then, uh, but Daedalus, when the king of Crete was like, yeah, I'm going to throw people in there to just get killed by that dude. Dang. And Daedalus is like, that ain't cool. So he gave... Uh, this one uh, girl who was going to go in there, or no, it was another hero. He was like, but Dalis gave them a ball of string so they that they could work their way through the labyrinth and like know where they were and stuff. It's like that's and the king a lot found of out and was like, well, that just destroys the fun of having a murder labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now you're prisoned on Crete, and they're like, nope, gonna get some feathers. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Except not too high or low. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, there's nothing, uh, on this page about the actual science of, of, of flying. Weird. On, it, yep. on the, on this mythology page? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's strange. Um, in the psychiatric mind, features of disease are perceived in the shape of the pendulous, emotional, ecstatic high and depressive low of bipolar disorder. Great. Henry Murray, having proposed the term Icarus complex, apparently found symptoms particularly in mania where a person is fond of heights. Fascinated by both fire and water, narcissistic and observed with fantastical or far-fetched imaginary cognition. Ugh. Wow. Okay, so that's um, junk science, right? I guess that sounds like junk science. Mm -hmm. It's it's cited twice. Somehow. I mean, if you have someone who really likes to fly, but and I mean, and is. Is narcissistic. I mean, it's kind of vigorous. You can like two things that are opposites. Like that's possible without being psychotic. Like is, I don't, mm, I don't know about this. Is, are you saying that that kid in the bird suit flying up for the sun is normal? Well, no, no, I'm definitely <laughs> not saying that. No, he's definitely ha he has some problems. Um, so there are some. Uh, tales that are similar to the tale of Icarus uh, told in other uh, areas. Uh -huh. There's Kwa Fu, the, a Chinese myth about a giant who chased the sun and died while getting too close. Dang! Uh, Bladud, or Bladud, a legendary king of the Britons, purported to have met his death while when his constructed wings failed. 
Uh, Etana, a sort of Babylonian Icarus, is all that that one says. I like it. Uh, and Sampati, an Indian myth about a bird which lost its wings while trying to save its younger brother from the sun. Oh, no. That's, I actually want to know more about that one. It's a sad story. And it'll actually get me closer to animals. You've got to be kidding. Yeah, it's a bird. I'm clicking yeah, on you're right. Potty. Yep. Wow. All right. <clears throat> so, just I'm going to break in here for just a second, Sky. Yeah. They are not from the rainforest. Damn. I looked this up. I'm going to tell you this right now because you know because I care about you. I think so, I'm okay. I think. I yeah, think I'm, I'm sure right. you are, but I'm just putting it out there. Rainforests. Rainforest, man. Um. Within the world, the World Wildlife Fund's biome classification, tropical rainforests are a type of tropical moist broadleaf forest. It also includes the more extensive seasonal tropical forests. I'm going to click on World Wildlife Fund and win the game from a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Booyah! Uh, done. <laughs> no. Well, you're not done yet. You still have another click. What? You, it's not... It's. It, we're not getting to the World Wildlife Fund. We're getting to no, Sugar Gliders. That was my gliders. joke because I won. I got there and I won. Yeah, I know. I won the one I know. from a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you guys, do you guys remember the different um, structures of the rainforest that you learned? Like the different layers? All I remember is the canopy. That's the only the part I remember. The canopy is the only important one because it has like the birds and cool stuff. And spider yeah, monkeys. that's where the cool things are. Now there's the forest floor. It's the bottommost layer. It only gets 2% of the sunlight. There's like plants and gorillas. <laughs> and what? What plants, did you say? Plants and gorillas. Oh, I heard growth. So I'm like, should it get that looked at? Like, yeah, no, no, no. There's like a lot of decaying plant and animal matter. There's the understory. Uh, that's where you got your ring-tailed coyotes, your boa constrictors, coyotes. I think so. Poison dart frogs. Um, which, oh man, those were my favorite when I was in like fifth grade. Love those guys. Um, oh, oh yeah. Then you have the canopy layer. It's, it's uh, really diverse. You've got a hornbill up there, sunbird, gray parrot, uh, spider monkeys. Yeah. Mm, nope, no spider em- monkeys. Then you got the emergent layer. Uh, that's a small number of very large trees called emergents, which grow above <laughs> the general canopy, reaching heights of 45 to 55 meters. Much, how many long, long squashes is that? <laughs> uh, uh, forty-five to fifty-five would be about thirty. No, not qu- no, no. That's not right. It's, they were about three meters. No, wait. Was it one? I, I have to look this up now. I'm going like to do the math. Twelve. Yeah, maybe, maybe like twelve long squashes or long, long, long gourds. What were they? Long gourds. Uh, long gourds. Yes. Yeah. Um. Oh, I closed the window already. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So those are the How layers. will I ever find this out? There's a bunch of soil types in here. It's great. There's just a lot here. <laughs> Talking about tourism. Mm. Yep. Uh, anyway, in the emergent layer, there are also the large flying fox, which oh. is, I think that's thanks to like a bat. But, oh my gosh, but, this is going to be great. But it's closer. Getting closer than I am. It's closer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to click on the large flying fox. And it's adorable, because of course it is. It's called the Teroptus Vampiris. Oh yes. no. Rawr. Oh, look at this. Oh, okay, we'll come back. Sorry. Some potty. 
Some party is... There's no party here. Oh, no. Uh, so, like I said earlier, uh, so Sampati and his brother Jatayu, when young, used to compete as to who could fly higher in Nilmantha. I, Nilmantha. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. On one such instance, Jatayu flew so high that he was about to get seared by the sun's flames. Sampati saved his brother by spreading his own wings and thus shielding Jatayu from the hot flames. In the process, Sampati himself got injured and lost his wings. As a result, Sampati lived wingless for the rest of his life. Oh, no. What? That's yep. sad? It's sad. Uh, what also sad is there's nothing linked about wings or birds. What's the moral of this story? Moral of the story is... Um, Shit happens. Brothers, brothers are going to ruin you. Oh, my gosh. Um, apparently he appears in another story. Uh, Sampati proved instrumental in Sita's search later on in the Ramayana. His role comes when the search party sent to the south. Uh, exhausted, thirsty, and depressed reach to the southern end of the land. They have the endless sea before them mm. and still no clue. Disappointed, everybody just collapses on the sand, unable and unwilling to move or act any further. At this point, Sampati appears openly talking about his fortune and so much easy meat arriving at his doorstep. Oh, jeez! At that moment, Javavan laments out loud, comparing the morals of a vulture who would prey on the helpless with the vulture Jatayu, who defended Sita from Ravana. I don't know these names, but, uh, you know, it might be a good story. Well, Jatayu's his brother. (laughs) The vulture froze as soon as he heard the word Jatayu, and he asked to be told the story. After hearing of Jatayu's fate, a weeping Sampati reveals that he is Jatayu's brother, and that he hadn't contacted his brother in a long time. And thanks for sharing the story, Sampati tells the party that Sita had been taken south to Sri Lanka. Wow. And, yep. So the words I have to click on here are Hindu mythology, uh-huh. Jatayu, Sita, Ramayana, Angada, Aloe, Jambavan, Ravana, and Sri Lanka. Yep. Maybe they're in Sri Lanka. You might not. You don't know. I I know what Sri Lanka is. <laughs> uh, let's click on Sri Lanka. All right. Sky is gonna go for the large flying fox. I'm so lost. That's it's also known as the greater flying fox or the Malayan flying fox, the Malaysian flying fox, large fruit bat, or or Kalang or Kalong. I like it. It's a it's a species of mega bat, which is great, and that's linked, and that's probably where I'm going. Yeah, Um, of course. It feeds exclusively on fruits, nectar, and flowers, despite its scientific name. Uh, it is noted for being one of the largest bats. Uh, as with nearly all other old world fruit bats, it lacks the ability to echolocate, but compensates with well-developed eyesight. It's like, Wait, yeah, what? sure, you're being fancy, but you can also just use eyes, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I think we already said it's, a, it's the largest, one of the largest species of bats. Um, Color and texture of the coat differ between sexes and age classes. Males tend to have slightly stiffer and thicker coats than females. Immature individuals are almost all dull gray-brown. Young have a dark-colored mantle that becomes lighter in males when they mature. The head has hairs that range in color from mahogany red and orange uh, to blackish. Yeah. Uh, the mantle. This is one of my favorite bats. I like this bat. It's a good bat. Yeah. It's a very good bat. Has a large and robust skull. Oh, 
Well, the dental the most formula robust. is two two one one three three two three as a total of thirty four teeth. Also, lock combinations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. That's all of their um, lock combinations. They fly slowly, but with great maneuverability. <laughs> um, I, I thought you were going to say like with with like determination. Determination, like, but they try just as hard as the other bats. So <laughs> Don't you make fun of them. Um, they eat bananas um, the most adorable way. Oh, um, no. They prefer the pulp and slices open the rind to get it uh, for any sort of fruit. Um, uh, yeah, they're neat. Good bats. Yeah, good bats. There's, they're good sky dogs, Brent. They are. They're good sky dogs. They No sugar gliders here. Uh, that's kind of surprising yeah i figured it might mm, yeah I so we're gonna talk to about like some megabats squirrel or something why don't we just go to squirrel mm. i think we gotta talk about megabats i don't know yes. i'm excited. also other like i'm like i don't know where these things are maybe they're in the philippines with these bats i don't know also also i just realized that they ha- that i didn't see the dental formula that you had there before that that you mentioned before yeah but they have this set up like a fraction so you can see like from the back of the mouth i think yeah yeah like, it's it's strange i'm not exactly that's, sure how it works that's definitely a code in some in some like uh oh like a uncharted puzzle or something like that yeah like a character's like oh i noticed that the code the code to unlock this uh vault w- is the same as the dental formula the of the flying fox Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have to like, uh, yeah. I'm, sorry, we should probably get moving because I'm not. I'm afraid of where 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 we're gonna be. Uh, Megabats. I mean, I'm Mega gonna Megabats, but man, <gasps> Tim, I'm sorry to root for you. <laughs> like one of uh, us has to get there. I, I was rooting for oh, you. No. <laughs> but hey, Sri Lanka, Megabats, you guys. Sorry, get, get off the Megabats. You'll get there. You can get there. You okay? can never stop me. They're very right. cute. Look, I just just let me just let me get through my Sri Lanka spiel. And get back to the Megabats, yeah, okay, okay? Go on. All right, it's an island country, right off the coast of, of India. Mm-hmm. I almost said Indiana. Oh my gosh! That's wrong. Yeah, no. Uh, its history goes back 125,000 years, maybe even as far back as 500,000 years. Mm. Um, Paleolithic human settlements were discovered in Sri Lanka. Um, in Pai, Pai Yangala, named after the Chinese traveler monk, um, in caves, archaeologists have found remains of anatomically modern humans, which they have named Balangoda man and other evidence suggesting that they have engaged in agriculture and kept domestic dogs. Uh, one of the first written references to the island is found in the Indian epic Ramayana, which I just referenced. Yeah. Uh, which provides details of a kingdom named Lanka that was created by the divine sculptor Vishwakarma for Kubera, the lord of wealth. It is said that Kubera was overthrown by his demon stepbrother, like, you know, that always happens. You know. Uh, Ravana, the powerful emperor who built a mythical flying machine named <gasps> Danduma Nara. Oh, you're so, you're closer. <laughs> mythical flying machine, yeah. The modern city of Warayapola is described as Ravana's airport. What? Yep, early inhabitants of Sri Lanka were probably ancestors of the Veda people, an indigenous people numbering approximately 2,500, living in modern-day Sri Lanka. Um, the 19th century Irish historian James Emerson Tennant 
theorized that Gaul, a city in southern Sri Lanka, was the ancient seaport of Tarshish, oh, from wow. which King Solomon is said to have drawn ivory peacocks and other valuables. Also, we got another animal there. We're, that's a thing. Peacocks. Okay. There's a lot more. Oh, man. This is a big page, too. So I might just keep it down to that. A lot on British rule. Yeah, um, British did not bring sugar gliders, though. Oh, man. Can you uh, imagine? Just just uh, a country just spreading sugar gliders around the world? Yeah, that's... I mean, it's... That's... It sounds... Sounds like a utopia in the making. I wish it happened. I mean, considering your interaction with sugar gliders, that might not actually be the case. Well, true. Yeah, you don't you don't want to give like the emperor a, a sugar glider and then just have it pee in their hand. <laughs> it is it is welcoming you. It is happy. <laughs> no, no, that's a sign of love and affection. Uh, let's go up to. Oh man, peacock or flying machine? What do you think's more oh, more interesting, geez. more likely to get me there, Kyle? I want to. I mean, flying machine makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I guess so. Flying machine. Oh, this is early flying machines. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Speaking of early flying machine, I mean, or just flying machines, I guess. Megabats. Yeah, they're big. How big are they? Uh, they have a wingspan of 1.7 meters. Holy, five, it says 5.6 feet here. Yeah. Which, oh, by the way, going back to the rainforest, I did the math and it would take 15 of the long gourds to reach the canopy. There we go. Great. Good. Uh, they, loss of echolocation. Megabats make up the only family in, in the order... Chiropetra that is not capable of uh, laryngeal echolocation. Mm. Uh, they evolved echo, echolocation in flight evolved early in the lineage of these of bats, I think. <laughs> Although echolocation was later lost in this family, uh, uh, it doesn't really explain necessarily why. Maybe their larger body size disrupts the flight echolocation coupling and mm. made echolocation too uh, energetically expensive to be conserved in megabats. Uh, we want to talk about classification here. Bats have been traditionally thought to belong to one of two monophyletic. I'm I'm not going to be good with these like with like the scientific terms. Uh, uh, two monophyletic groups. A view that yeah. is reflected in their classification into two suborders: the Megachiprota and Microchirota. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm gonna guess it's Chiratera. Chiratera, maybe. You think? Yeah, maybe. Chiratera, sure. Uh, according to the to this hypothesis, all living megabats and microbats. Oh, there's microbats too. Are descend, <laughs> no. descendants of a common ancestor species. Um, that is already that was already capable of flight. However, other views have been shared, and a vigorous debate persists to this date. For example, in the in the 1980s and 1990s, some researchers proposed, based primarily on the similarity of the visual pathways, that mm. the megachiropta were in fact more closely affiliated with the primates uh, than the microchiprota. I don't know. I'm, now I'm just getting Spanish, which is not right. Uh, with, the, with the two groups of bats having therefore evolved flight via convergence, 
And then in parentheses, sea flying primates theory. And that's linked. And I'm clicking on that. Are you really? Yeah, I don't. How can I not? They have mouse tailed bats here, which are halfway what we're after. (laughs) Uh, Also, Mm. well, no, you're you're fine. When am I going to have this opportunity? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a fair point. Flying primates. Flying primates it is. All right, Tim, early flying machines. Flying machines include all forms of aircraft studied or constructed before the development of the modern aeroplane in 1910. The story of modern flight begins more than a century before the first successful manned airplane and the earliest aircraft thousands of years before. Talks about the legends, of course, of um, men mounting flying devices or strapping bird-like wings, stiffing cloaks or other devices to themselves and attempting to fly, typically by jumping off a tower. Talks about Icarus again. Um, then talks about chariots uh, that flew, magic carpets that flew, and the mythical British king Bladud who conjured up flying wings. <laughs> um, let's see here. Eventually, some tried to build real flying devices. They are the crazy ones. Uh, Typically bird-like wings and attempted to fly by jumping off a tower, hill, or cliff. During this early period, physical issues of lift, stability, and control were not understood. And most attempts ended in serious injury or death. When the apparatus lacked an effective horizontal tail or the wings were simply too small. In the first century AD, Chinese Emperor Wang Meng recruited a specialist scout to be bound with bird feathers. He is claimed to have glided about 100 meters. Uh, in 559 AD, Yuan Hongto is said to have landed safely following an enforced tower jump. Yikes. Uh, jumping uh, sort of stopped for a little bit, I guess. People didn't really want to keep breaking their, their legs. Uh, jumping revived in 1496 with Sechio breaking both arms in Nuremberg. In 1507, John Damien strapped on wings covered with chicken feathers and jumped from the walls of Stirling Castle in Scotland, what? breaking his thigh, later blaming it on not using eagle feathers. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, yeah, get that. That's a that's an that, easy mistake to make. Yep, that high quality. Yeah. That high quality feathers, man. Uh, let's see here. As late as 1811, Albrecht Berblinger constructed an ornithopter and jumped into the Danube at Ulm. Great. Uh, okay. Uh, kites are mentioned. Man-carrying kites are believed to have been used extensively in ancient China for both civil and military purposes and sometimes enforced as a punishment. What? Like if you're uh, scared of heights, I guess? I guess? Um... Rotor wings, hot air balloons, <laughs> regular balloons, <laughs> dirigibles or airships, There's parachutes, so, going back to kites. 1783 was a watershed year for ballooning. Between <laughs> fo- June, no, no, between uh, June 4th and December 1st, five separate French balloons achieved important aviation firsts. I'm going to give you just the first one here because it's amazing. The very first one, I guess, in 1783. Oh, where's the Bill Bryson book on this? Uh, June 4th, uh, 1783, the uh, Montgolfier brothers' unmanned hot air balloon lifted a sheep, a duck, and a chicken in a basket hanging beneath. <laughs> oh, in a basket hanging beneath. <laughs> Chicky in the basket. <laughs> 
but they had to leave the fox behind because... Exactly. Oh, man. I was trying to figure out how to say that. <laughs> oh. uh, I, I have reached a section on gliders. Oh, thank God. Oh, boy. Learning to glide. <laughs> Learning to uh, glide. The, the glider uh, was flown briefly by B.O. in 1879. Uh, was based on the work of Molliard and was still bird-like in form. It is preserved in the Musée de l'Air. <laughs> uh, oh, there it is. Oh, it's cool looking. It's got a little like tail feather fan kind of thing in the back. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Claimed to be the earliest man-carrying flying machine still in existence. I, I mean, it's cool. literally... it. If you think of old-timey uh, jet, or hang glider... Like what you think they would look like in in like an ancient, they're not ancient, but like before modern technology. It's exactly what you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otto Lilienthal was known as the glider king or flying man of Germany. Oh man, he duplicated uh, predecessor's work, greatly expanded on it in 1884, publishing his research in 1889 as "Bird Flight as the Basis of Aviation." Der Vogelflug als Grundlage der Fliegenkunst. Amazing. I mean, it sounded good. I don't know if I actually pronounced it right. I mean, uh, I'll give it to he, you. He also produced a series of gliders of a type now known as the hang glider, yeah. including batwing, monoplane, and biplane forms. Oh, man. Uh, such as the Derwitzer glider and normal soaring apparatus. The what? <laughs> The normal soaring apparatus. That's what it says. No. Normal, normal is is um, capitalized. So I'm guessing it's someone's name, perhaps. But still, but normal soaring apparatus would be the name of my of my band. Nice. They're playing this weekend. Normal soaring yep. apparatus. They're playing. They're opening for Avenged Sevenfold. Nice. Um, starting in 1891, Lilenthal became the first person to make controlled, untethered glides routinely and the first to be photographed flying a heavier-than-air machine, stimulating interest around the world. Oh, man. Can you imagine, like, just like just living normal life in your grounded world and being shown a picture of some dude with what looks like, like wings strapped above him <laughs> just kind of floating in the air and being like, oh, man. You'd be like, no, that's Photoshopped. I can tell. Be- these, <laughs> these, these pixels are all... <laughs> Everyone's like, what's Photoshop? <laughs> are you a witch? <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to click on hang glider. Okay. This is a page we visited uh, before, I'm pretty sure. Nice. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to see oh, Hopefully, yeah. it can get me closer to. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not saying not to do it. I'm saying... To gliders of sugar. Yeah. All right. Flying primate hypothesis, which sure. is opening for uh, <laughs> the normal... Yes. <laughs> Uh, it posits that megabats, which we've already talked about, right, have an an evolutionary sister group of primates. Uh, it began with Carl Linus in 1758 and was again advanced by J.D. Smith in 1980. And then it was proposed in its modern form by Australian neuroscientist Jack Ooh. Pettigrew in 1986 after he disca- discovered that the, there were connections between the retina and the supercolicus, a region of the midbrain. And the megabat... Um, uh oh sorry uh and he discovered that the connections between the retina and the supercolicus uh in the megabat uh were organized in the same way found in primates 
this it seems maybe I'm not reading this right, but or the sentence is weird. But anyway, no, I think you're reading it right. The sentence is just weird. Yeah, these the retinas and stuff are like similar. Uh, this was followed up by a longer study published in 19, 1989, in which it was supposed was supported by the analysis of many other brain and body characteristics. I'm very dis- like I definitely expected to see like a picture of like a flying monkey on this page. Um, yeah, you know, like a drawing of them, like an olden time drawing, but no. Uh, Pettigrew suggested that flying foxes, coligos, and primates were all descendants of the same group of an early arboreal uh, mammal. Uh, the megabat flight and the coligo gliding could be both seen as locomo- locomotory. Lo- lo- how do you say that, Kyle? Locomotory, I guess. Locomotory? <laughs> That's my best guess. Yeah, to life high above <laughs> ground. Um, gliding here is linked to gliding flight. So I'm going to click on that. Ooh. It is a race. I will tell you uh, that this... That on this page, uh, at least one of the animals that they've talked about, or well, somewhere on this page, I guess, uh, one of the animals was in the link, the list that I used to get to Sugar Glider. Ah, oh, dang it! So, I mean, this is probably also going to get you there. Whoa, there's know. something on this page that I absolutely want to know about, but we'll get there. Because uh, <laughs> hang gliding, hang gliding is when you. Glide as you hang, <laughs> like if you're just chilling over the weekend. Yeah, also just hanging, gliding. and then you're just in the air, yeah. and it's just like, whoa, I'm hang gliding. <laughs> uh, most modern hang gliders are made of an aluminum alloy or composite frame covered with synthetic sailcloth to form a wing. I might go back and click on that wing. Mm. Um, earliest forms of gliding had existed in China. Uh, like we said, Chinese had managed to build kites large and aerodynamic enough to sustain the weight of an average-sized person. It was only a matter of time before someone decided to simply remove the kite string and see what happened. Oh, great. Good. Great. <laughs> That's cited. Oh, why? Who are these people? Why? <laughs> uh, top 10 ancient Chinese inventions. Oh, it's from How Stuff Works. Oh, okay. I would expect nothing less. Great. Let's just cut that string. You know? What's the worst that could happen? Let's see what happens. <laughs> we might, we were not going to die, right? That could, that's not on the list, right? No. Oh, jeez. Um, let's see here. Ski plane. Ooh, a towable kite hang glider. He called a ski plane. Nice. Hmm. Uh, what's used to make one? Launching one. Uh, more exotic launch techniques have been used successfully. Like Such what? as hot air balloon drops from very high altitude. Great, good. Again, why? When when weather conditions are unsuitable to sustain a soaring flight, this results in a top-to-bottom flight and is referred to as a sled run. Wow. What? Isn't it just dropping? No, sled run. Isn't that a top-to-bottom top nope, flight? That's a sled Isn't run. that just dropping? <laughs> I mean, no, Tim. I mean, obviously, it's a sled run. Oh my gosh! He just—he's just—he's just falling from the sky. Then no, 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 no. That's that's a sled run. Right. It's like a sled going down. He's going to be fine. Yes, yeah. Uh, and and the impact there. What do you call that? Uh, yes, that's it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, we should go. <laughs> <laughs> I can't come up with a name for that. Don't ask me questions. Um, sled runs. Uh, 
course, people use thermals to get more air. Uh, and there's, but there's other things too. There's ridge lift uh, occurs when the wind encounters a mountain cliff or hill. That'll help you get altitude. Uh, another main type of lift used by a glider pilot is the lee waves that occur near mountains. Obstruction to the airflow can generate standing waves with alternating areas of lift and sink. So just kind of like waves in the air. Nice. And then convergence, which sounds cool. Uh, convergence of air masses is with a sea breeze front. More exotic forms of lift are the polar vortices, uh, which the Parian Project hopes to use to sort of great altitudes. A rare phenomenon known as morning glory has also been used by glider pilots in Australia. What? Um, I, I did click on this just out of curiosity, uh, not going into it. Right. Uh, it basically makes these these lines of clouds. What? Yeah, it's really cool looking. Hang on a second. Uh, and it pretty much just happens only in Australia. I mean, it happens in different areas around the world. It's It's, I guess, well known in Australia, though. Uh, it can be more predicted and observed there. And, of course, you can go out and hang glide on him. Wow. Which is neat. That's very cool. And I would like to do that. <laughs> so I will... Um, I did not see anything else to click on other than wing. I'm going to wing. I am going to wing. I am going <clears> to wing. <throat> all right. Well, we're we're hitting all around there, but gliding flight. It's heavier than air flight without the use of thrust. Yeah. The term volplaning also refers to this mode of flight in animals. I really hope that it's actually just when someone throws a throws a vol, like, or <laughs> if it's skids. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I take that back. It's when a vol is going too fast on water and just skids across the top. Too, too, too. Uh, this mode of flight involves <laughs> flying a significant distance horizontally compared to its descent and therefore can be distinguished from a mostly straight downward descent, like with a round parachute. <laughs> it's like falling, but like also moving to the side enough that it's not just falling. But on falling. purpose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's talking about like human stuff, but there's also animals here. There's birds. No, I, I mean, I'm just going to right here in the second paragraph. There's a link to okay. However, some air, some aircraft with lifting bodies and animals animals such as the flying snake can achieve gliding flight without any wings by creating a flattened surface underneath. And what you've never seen flying, a flying snake? It ha, have you? Is this a thing that I, I, I should mean, know not about? Not in real life, but yes, I oh have. Oh my gosh! It's <laughs> like yeah, it just like flattens itself out and kind of like wiggles through the air and like what? Yeah, it's cool. Uh, nope. You thought you were safe? You were safe. Yeah. Nope. No. Not okay. Not okay. This should not be. Oh my gosh! Once it decides on a destination, it propels itself by thrusting its body up and away from the tree, sucking in its abdomen and flaring out its ribs to turn its body into a pseudo concave wing. All the while making a continual serpentine motion of lateral undulation parallel to the ground to stabilize. Oh my gosh, this is terrifying. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's wild. Yeah, it talks about frisbees on this page too. So, in addition to mammals and birds, other animals, notably flying fish, flying snakes, flying frogs, and flying squid, also glide. Uh, good, great. Mm. Again, nowhere is safe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the flying squid are pretty hilarious. Uh, if you've ever seen, uh, there is, I know there's video of that out there because they use jet propulsion. They literally just squirt themselves right out of the yeah. ocean. It's um, great. Uh, it talks about sugar gliders. They're right here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hooray. What? I'm going to click nice on job. Their, their name. You can do that. Australia. 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 Oh, that's where they're yeah. from? Yeah, they're from Australia. Do you guys? Oh, man, I could have been closer going down that morning glory route. I know. I wanted to say something, but I figured I'd already given away too much about where they're from. Yep. Uh, as, oh, well. As a note, they have on this gliding flight uh, page that the 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 structure that the like the little membranous membranous fiber between like the arms and legs of like a flying squirrel if in case you ever need to know this is called the patagium p-a-t-a-g-i-u-m and not like the wing which is what you would what you would think it's called it also has four parts that i'm not going to go into but that tiny little membrane four parts anyway sugar gliders you guys yep Sugar glider. Tim, do you want to talk about wings at all before we go? Um, there? it was a good show. <laughs> um, it introduced Tony Shalhoub to the world. Mm, what did it uh, really? So you should be thankful. Yes, I didn't know that. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. It talks about wings. I, there's a very small part about birds. Uh-huh. It has a cute seagull on it. Uh, I was going to. There's nothing about sugar gliders on here, of oh. course. I was going to click on wingsuit. To oh, yeah. uh, hopefully get closer, oh, that would have been a good um, idea. But I was I was out in the weeds, dudes. <laughs> so congratulations, Sky. Uh, Thanks. It was... That that <laughs> little that little seagull is a laughing gull, and it looks very yep. cute. That is adorable. Yeah. I'm going to share He's this. Just like hey hey, look at my wings. I got wings. Did you, need, you guys. Did you happen to need a, a picture to represent wings on your Wikipedia article? Here you go. Oh. That's a cute little seagull. All right. Sugar gliders, you guys. They're yeah. very cute. They're small, omnivorous, arboreal, mm-hmm. nocturnal. All things we've talked about tonight. The common I'm name, pretty sure. Yeah, the common name <laughs> refers to its preference of sugary, nectarous foods and the ability of it to glide <laughs> through the air. <laughs> like a flying squirrel. Yep, they have a similar appearance and habits to the flying squirrel, despite not being closely related. Uh, that's an example of convergent evolution for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, wait. They are small and cute. Wait. What? The scientific name, oh, Pederis no. brafipsips, I don't know, translates yeah. from Latin as short-haired, ro- short-headed rope dancer. A ref- I mean. A reference to their canopy acrobatics. I mean, short-headed you know. short rope dancer. That's. That's maybe not the best name they could have had. No. <laughs> like, I wonder, like, the day that that happened, they're like, yeah, no, 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 that's the right name. The weird gliding membrane that they have is called mm. a patagium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, it is, they're, they're very cute. I wanted to mention uh, one of the reasons that I, I, I wanted to come to this page, aside from them being very small and cute, and we can all use things that are small and cute right now. Um, uh-huh. they have a they have something in in similar or they have something in common with uh, capybara sky. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, like capybara, they have like little scent glands just right on the top of their forehead, and uh, they can communicate by rubbing their forehead on things. Oh, great! Yeah, I mean 
capybara do this too, but these are even these are small and adorable. But like, yeah, just rubbing their head on things can like that's that's how they tell other sugar gliders and everything else. Aw. They have yeah. a they have a long partially and then in parentheses weekly prehensile tail. Oh no. <laughs> like oh and that's that's cited too. Like someone was just like, well, you know, scale it back some there. It's not that's yeah. not the best prehensile t- it's not a strong prehensile tail. I mean, geez. You can barely, yeah, like lift a grape. And it's but it's adorable <laughs> when they try. <laughs> <laughs> Can it wait? Hold on. Is that a thing specifically that you're thinking of? Like, I mean, it's it is a thing that I'm specifically picturing. <laughs> Mealworms like are it. a favorite food for some domesticated gliders, and they're just chilling down. <laughs> it's like they got their hand, their hand caught in this cookie jar full of mealworms. Oh my gosh! You guys are so cute. <laughs> they are amazing. Oh, it peed on you uh, once, Tim. <laughs> Yep. Something Did. else that sugar gliders. It was do. the it was the cutest thing to have ever peed on me. Oh, I mean, no. that's good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm I'm not great. I'm not happy that you have like other things that that could possibly be. But all right. And um, I, I'm just glancing through this, and I see the sentence: their diet should be 50 percent insects, and then in parentheses, gut loaded, and that's linked. <laughs> and I don't want to watch it. Gut loading is a thing. Apparently, it has a Wikipedia page. Uh, I'm going to click what on it. What is it? It's a process by which an animal's prey is raised and fed nutritious foods with the intention of passing those nutrients to the animal for which they prey is intended. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, oh, okay. How disgusting, though. It's not a good name. <laughs> I mean, we've what we've covered tonight is that people and animals are disgusting. That's that's just what it is. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's how we do. I do want to point out that... Um, one of the things they can do is uh, put themselves if uh, if temperatures or if the environment or um, food uh, like the availability of food uh, isn't doesn't uh, isn't um, great. They can put themselves in not into hibernation, but into torpor. Basically, they put in they put themselves into a low power state for oh, a little nice. while, and it's very cute because mm. like. It describes this as they don't even like huddle together, but they'll do that to conserve energy. It, like in a group, they'll huddle together. Um, but with this, they uh, it'll reduce activity and body temperature normally to lower energy expenditure uh, and then remain in torpor daily, depending on uh, whatever constraints it's dealing with. I don't blame it. I would. Uh, for I'd be, I'd for be two, to, mm-hmm. two to 23 hours. That's like almost the entire day like it I wakes up yeah in, if i could live in torpor of all 2017 i would yeah it's doing that <laughs> thing like it's waking up and it's going like nope not today and going right back into torpor like this is not the day so i i understand you sugar glider i understand you <laughs> anyway i get you <laughs> anyway, yes that's all i want to talk about sugar gliders oh they're great little things they are, um, and think. yes, you can you can keep them as pets. That's I good. understand they are decent. I'm glad that pets. wasn't a legal thing going on at the mall. <laughs> I'm kind of concerned. <laughs> I mean, it, it was legit as far as I knew. Yeah, as, yeah, as far as you know, and never, and you'll never find out any different. No, um, nope. yeah. 
Well, thank you guys for coming on this trip uh, from electric cars to sugar gliders with me. Uh, if you want to find out more about our podcast, if you want to hear more episodes like this uh, about us talking about other adorable things, you can find us uh, on Twitter at WSKBcast. You can find us on Facebook by searching for We Should Know Better. You can find us on uh, – you can find our episodes on Google Play, on iTunes, or Stitcher. If you go to any of those places, please uh, leave us a review and let us know what you think. Uh, tell us tell us what your favorite cute small animal uh, marsupial is. Yeah. Because um, we want to know these things because they're pretty great. They're just great in general. Um, and let's see. What else? Did I miss anything? I think I got all the things right. Oh, our actual webpage. <laughs> Uh, you can find us at wsgbcast.blogspot.com, uh, where you can check out our past, past episodes and see some of the photos that uh, Sky pulls together from what we've talked about in from episode to episode. Yeah, they should be in the uh, in the notes too on your like um, podcast app. I forget. I actually mention that more often. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, my my uh, for some reason my catcher doesn't uh, doesn't grab all the photos. Ah, uh, yeah, some don't. Um, actually I, I was going back through the page a couple days ago and I noticed that, uh, you know, one of the things you've been dealing with recently is that there is a, uh, there's been a, you've, you've been, uh, dealing with your septic tank at your house. Uh-huh. Uh, your, your toilet has shown up on multiple shows, Sky. This is not mm. a new thing. What? Uh, there was at least one episode not too long ago where it says uh, Sky's toilet backs up in in the details for the show. What? Uh, yeah. No, it's a uh, – let's see if I can find out which episode it is. I had it up here just a couple minutes ago, so give me a moment. Uh, <clears throat> episode 58, All Roads Lead to Tom Hanks. Uh, this week, Sky as Tim and Kyle get from typewriter to, to Tyrannosaurus. Tim treks through the decrepit mansions and gritty streets of Resident Evil, while Kyle learns all about the tiny world of dioramas. Also, Sky, Sky's toilet overflows. Wow. And he tries to cope with, yeah, with yep. Kyle's dislike of Tom Hanks with the help of special guest Sky's mom. Dang. I don't even remember that happening. Yeah. And there has, it, that's not the only time. I know it's happened another time, and I, I just can't remember it. So yeah, a lot of toilet issues. I was going to say, we we talk, I, I mean, you listen to our podcast long enough, you're going to learn about toilets is what I'm, what I'm telling you people. So that's, that's our second, that's the second thing that we talk about on our podcast, apparently. Cute things in toilets. Yep. All right. What you else got, do you need? <laughs> all right, you guys. Good night. <laughs> good night. Good night. Yeah. Recording. Zip. Zap. Zap. Uh, I had to ex. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. That's close. I was still talking. <laughs> when you guys, I'm like, I'm like, I said this thing, and then I, I just the, the reply I got was zip. I'm like, oh, oh shit. Yep. I got it. <laughs> oh no. <clears throat> <laughs>